Welcome to Catalytic Conversations. I'm Wendy Dickinson, founder of Ascend to Sell. I coach business owners through the psychological aspects of key transitions such as mergers, acquisitions, and family succession. I've designed a five-step process called AAA M&A. My mission is to help my clients maximize their returns and minimize their regrets. This podcast explores entrepreneurial experiences. My guests explore challenges, pivot points, and decision-making strategies. As listeners, you have the opportunity to learn from the experience of others. Today, we have a very special guest, a former client of my husband, John Dickinson of Dickinson Williams and Company. Phil, welcome to the show. Well, Wendy, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm uh, certainly honored and uh, looking forward to speaking with you about this topic. Phil, I'm going to take a stab at your last name because as we discussed before the show started, it's quite a beautiful last name when you say it in Italian. But Piantrandria, did I get it? said. All right. Thank said. you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. All right, Phil, tell me about what your first job was. Yeah, um, as it pertains to the railroad industry, which is where my, the bulk of my background is for the past 37 years, uh, literally started working as a laborer on a railroad, um, you know, actually building track. And so that's where I started. But I always knew that you know, my back wouldn't be strong enough as I got older to continue doing that. So I just, you know, I was going to school in the evenings or weekends to advance my career and take advantage of educational reimbursement programs that the companies for whom I worked were offering. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think in at the, that stage in life, we learn about what we are interested in doing and not interested in doing. So, Phil, mm-hmm. what did, what was your takeaway from that job? Other than your back wouldn't last all your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I actually, the takeaway was that every job, no matter, you know, even at the, an entry level type position, whether it's a, um, whether it's manual labor or whether you're starting off working in an office environment in an entry level position, the takeaway was that every job is important mm-hmm. and that each person has to start at some point. And so that really was my, my, my takeaway, uh, when I first started working toward my career. And so where, what was your career path like? I, I guess like anything else, you, know, you need that, that first break and, and obviously there's gotta be some persistence on, on one's part to, to not give up and to continue trying to look for opportunities. Uh, as they say, you know, opportunity, sometimes opportunity knocks, but you also have to start knocking on some doors yourself. Um, so what I was doing was I was reaching out to as many people that I knew that could possibly, you know, open some doors for me. And I, I, when I say what I couldn't even tell how many interviews I went on during a three-year period probably. But during that time, we'd continue going on interviews and, and learn some of the things that I did right and some of the things I did wrong and and um, try to maintain a positive attitude even though at times it's, it's you know, somewhat dejecting. When you get rejected, and uh, fortunately, my, my dating life prepared me for that. So um, it was <laughs> it was good in that uh, it allowed me to somewhat hone my skills, but to, uh, again, to obviously not give up. And so once I had someone who gave me an opportunity, <clears throat> pardon me, that worked for a company in the railroad industry 
uh, I think he saw in me someone who was settled in that the people that he was interviewing, you know, that were about my age were, had just finished college or, you know, or maybe it was out for a year or two, but, you know, we're, we're still probably enjoying the part of the college life. And I think what he saw in me was that I got married young, that I was established and settled and, um, just happened to be, you know, lucky enough or made my luck to find that right person who was willing to give me a chance to get into sales, which I, I always knew I wanted to do. I wanted to get into sales. And so he gave me an opportunity to start with an inside sales representative for the company. And so did those early days of where you were actually, actually a laborer for the railroad, did those early days lend a different um, slant to your sales approach when you were working with customers? It, it helped in that, yes, it, it, the answer is yes, because what it did was it'll, when a customer, when I was talking to a customer, not only, and again, this is not to slam people that go take a different career path, but sure. I wasn't looking at things from a, from a, from a book standpoint and from a theoretical standpoint, customers could actually talk to me, explain the product. And I knew exactly what they were talking about because I, I had the opportunity to have worked with it with my hands and knew how things uh, fit and work together. So it, it definitely gave me an advantage in talking to customers. It probably actually helped gain their trust and confidence me in me uh, a lot earlier and faster than they normally would have. Yeah, that makes sense because you had been in a couple of different levels of the business. And, and so you described that three-year period where you had gone on a lot of interviews. Were you still working as a laborer going and going to school at night? Yeah, yes, I was uh, exactly. Actually, was um, I was working at one period for about a year, maybe a year and a half. I was working shift work, which I did. I don't, I don't, uh, uh, I wouldn't uh, tell someone that that's the best way to do things. But I mean, it was again, it was there was the path that I was on at that time. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I was, uh, yeah, I had to do it. It was just working around different shifts. Each week you took a different shift. And so it made a little trying at times, but, but quite honestly, looking back on it, I'm glad I did it. Um, mm -hmm. because you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it made me the person that I am today. Yeah. And, and so maybe if you would give us a little bit of a sense of how your career progressed from that, that first big break that you sure. received. Yeah. And not to, not to bore you or your audience with all this, but since you asked, I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, what happened was, well, so when I started off the, 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 at the time, now this is back in the early mid eighties at the time, the company uh, that where I worked had a clear, um, a clear path how things would go uh, in the organization. So you would basically start off as an inside sales rep. And then once, if you worked hard, then they would, uh, you know, promote you to an outside sales rep and give you a territory. Now this is, again, this is before cell phones and computers. So the, the, the company had a lot more sales people or sell outside sales reps covering smaller areas. So they would dangle the, the company car keys in front of you and, and tell you if you worked hard, you, know, you, you can have a company vehicle and so on and so forth. After a few years of working as an inside sales rep, it, I had the opportunity then to, to move into an outside sales role, calling on um, coal miners and people that um, uh, in, in industrial accounts. It wasn't like I was going to high-rise buildings. It was mm -hmm. really um, – Again, at that time, at that particular point 
in, in that company, it wasn't a very desirable territory, but it was something that at least I have always felt as though just give me the opportunity and I could show my, my, myself and my skill set and try to make something out of it. And then from there, then the path was, you know, you'd get become a, a, a regional manager and, and so on and so forth. So after I had worked for that company for approximately seven, seven and a half years, I had moved my way up to a, a sales rep and a, 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 a district became open that I felt, you know, I should have had, and and you know, again, looking back on things, maybe you know, young and arrogant, or or whatever, and it's it, uh, or maybe things worked out for the reason. Another company at that period of time, the job didn't go to me, mm-hmm. and another company, a competitor, had contacted me about opening up an office in a new territory for them, and I decided to take that, and I took that, and. Um, uh, just to, I'll try to uh, give you there's the Reader's Digest version to bring it to this to date. But what ended up happening was I took that job, uh, stayed in uh, I was in Kentucky at the time. I stayed in Kentucky for a few years. They moved me down to Atlanta to take over a larger role. And at the risk of sounding arrogant, I wasn't really looking for a job, but an opportunity came my way. Pardon me, and um, a company that I had known was a small family-owned operation, had approached me coming to work for them. I went to work for them to to try to uh, get their name out into the industry. Uh, that led to them being purchased by a larger uh, company based out of Pittsburgh. Interesting. And so, yeah, so when that company bought the company where I was, I went along with the, you know, I came along with the deal, and... Um, about a year and a half later, that that particular company, which is the world's largest Thai railroad Thai treating company, uh, they had asked me to move to Pittsburgh, which was their headquarters, and ironically, is where and coincidentally is where I'm originally from. And I, even though I hadn't lived home, uh, you know, I've probably gone for about maybe 18 years or so. Um, I saw an opportunity to a get closer to family. B, um, you know work in, a, in the headquarters and try to advance my career. So I, I, I took the move, and after about uh, five years there, the company where I started had approached me um, to come back to work for them, and I had been gone for, at that point, maybe uh, you know eight years, nine years, something like that. They approached me about coming back to work for them and to take over, to oversee their sales uh, force in the railroad division, which I did. Mm-hmm. I went back, spent five years there, and then, which then led me to um, go to work for uh, the company Unitrack, which is how I met John. And I, that period deal was the, the the guy who was the president of the company at that time didn't have a sales force, but he had inventory and manufacturing. And the company that I was working for, I oversaw the sales, as I just said. He knew that we had a sales force, but no manufacturing and and uh, inventory. So we saw it as a perfect marriage. And he and I were doing some deals together. And, and finally, after about maybe six, eight months, nine months, something like that, he asked me if I would come and help um, join his company and help build a sales force and, and help grow their company. So I did. I went there, and, and after 26, uh, I'm sorry, after uh, when I joined them, they were about $26 million in revenue. 
and certainly not because of me, but I played my role in, in doing what I was hired to do and putting a team together. And we had grown that company over a seven year period to a hundred million in revenue. And, um, yeah, so then that's how we, and that's how I got to know your husband and because the owners of that company wanted to sell it because it had gotten so big that they couldn't finance it and fund it anymore. Mm -hmm. So we went to, 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 to sell it. And, um, Again, I hope not to bore you with too much of these details, but just it, it kind of gets me to where we are today. Right. Okay. So then what ended up happening was, Wendy, was that uh, the company in the in the middle of the sale process, the company had we had gotten some bad deals and some things weren't working outright and we began losing money into the millions. And so uh, what ended up happening was we pulled the deal off the table. Mm-hmm. So the company was not for sale, at least temporarily. And unfortunately, uh, for the person who was the president of the company at the time, he and the owners, you know, it was it was a lot of finger pointing, and they blamed him and he blamed them. And since they owned the company and he didn't, uh, they parted ways. And so he was asked to uh, to leave. So he left, and they had approached me about taking over as president of the company, and. At that time, I mean, you know, it, it just didn't look pretty bleak because we were losing money and rumors were floating out there that we were going bankrupt and were for sale and you know, things weren't looking good. And so the owners had approached me about taking over the company basically to get it healthy again in mm-hmm. order to sell it. So I knew that was the, you know, the end goal. And, and again, so I took it over and after a year and a half, and again, not because it was me, uh, I didn't wave any magic wand. It was just I uh, was able to put a good team around me, and we end up um, going from double-digit millions of losses into a single-digit million of profit. And the company became profitable in that year and a half, and we had a very healthy backlog. Customers saw we weren't going anyplace. I felt my job was to secure the foundation with the customers, our employees, and our vendors, and in that year and a half, we did that, and um, we were able to sell the company to, uh, to its current owner. Uh, this was two years ago this happened. So, Phil, you've been involved in, in a number of transactions in, in a couple of different ways. So, you mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned the goal was to sell. So, how, mm-hmm. did, how did you prepare? You, you also mentioned that you surrounded yourself with a great team. So, how did you prepare that team for the recovery, but then also the ultimate goal of selling. Yeah, Wendy, thank you. That's a good question. Um, prepare them by, and, and I know some of this is going to sound kind of cliche-ish, and, 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 and I don't mean it to sound that way, but I, I say it because I truly believe it. And I, I, I don't say because it I think it sounds good, and there's the great sound bites, but I, I actually went to those folks when we so we're let me take you from this last one because that would have been the, the one i was really involved with on a you know day-to-day hands-on the other ones where i was involved um but um from from somewhat of a, afar if you will you know sort of arms uh, arms length sure. uh, involvement but this last deal when we're up against it like again you know we're we were we're on the fence. We can go out of business. Customers could just shut us off. Um, vendors were shutting us off. Uh, employees could have left us. And as I said, when I said about um, going around and and um, 
putting a great team around me. The great team was really the employees, the, the customers, and the and the suppliers and the vendors. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but from an employee standpoint, I literally, literally got everyone together. And I would tell them this on a on a regular basis. The first was to tell them um, that early on, and what you'll find in this conversation as we go along, I might say this a few times, but I, you know, as I'm an open book, I like being honest with people, being upfront with people, and I think that sincerity comes across when you're talking to again the three groups I had mentioned: the employees, the the customers, and the vendors. Yes. So I told the employees, I didn't try to sugarcoat anything. I told them exactly what we we're up against, and I explained to them that you know this is do or die. We're in survival mode. We need each other, and this kind of goes back to you know you talked about some your question earlier about how did this you know, my earlier job you know, lead up to or play a part into where I am today. Yeah. And what it did was I remembered and I always believe I live by the golden rule and, you know, doing unto others that I wasn't doing to me. So I remember back when I was on a lower level or at a lower level, I used to always think, you know, why doesn't, why don't the bosses tell us what's going on? Because this is our jobs too. This, this, you know, this is our source of income. Why don't they tell us what's going on? So I was promised myself if I ever got to a position where I could um, sort of right the wrongs and do the things that I, I would have wanted to receive when I was, you know, to let people know what was going on, that I would do that. And anytime I've ever been in a position where I could share information, and again, I'm talking about some sensitive information. There's some things that have got to be kept confidential, but share information so people can understand where they stand, where the company stands, and they can make um, decisions on their future based on what's going on. So early on, I told all I got the, all the employees together. I told them exactly what was going on. As I said, I laid it on for them. Told them what we're up against. That if we work together, that and literally we're going to sink or swim together. If we work together and everyone does their jobs, that we would have a brighter future. That we'd be here, you know, the next day, the next month, and the next year to, to see this thing go through. So that's basically, long answer to your question is how I prepared them was to just basically tell them, you know, here's what's going on. I never tried to hide the fact when we would have potential investors come around. I didn't tell them it was, you know, customers and try to, I told them exactly who was there. So they knew exactly, you know, that what they were up against, that these people might be your, you know, could possibly your bosses down the road. So you need to make a good impression. And, and that's basically how I, I prepared them for it. I, Phil, I really appreciate your sharing that because I have to tell you that a number of owners are, of course, very concerned about confidentiality and have never been through, usually never been through a merger or an acquisition before. I think that they lose sight of, of maintaining that relationship with their employees. And I, I love the authenticity that you described and and then also that you were were you used a degree of transparency that I'm sure not only the employees but also the suppliers and 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 customers appreciated. Yeah, I thank you for saying that, Wendy, because I believe I believe that then I believe it now because what it does. And again, I'm not saying you bear your soul. You know, right. I mean, obviously, no. you, yes. you know, there's times you can't share every little thing, so you you have to, um, you know, somewhat. Be careful what you tell people. But however, 
when I would tell anyone who any owner who's looking to sell their company or any other person who was in my position that's, you know, that's going to sell the company that if you're not if you don't think your employees don't have some inkling what's going on you're kidding yourself yeah because they do and then when room and i always believe when rumors start that's what that could then sink the ship in itself so if you if you're not um open with your employees and you communicate on a regular basis it can't be you know every now and then you've got to be consistent in what you're saying with your message and, and, and continue to talk to your employees so that they know what's going on because if you don't, you lose credibility with them. And, and cre- when you lose credibility, it's hard to get that back. So you've yes. got to um, – I yes. just believe it helped the whole thing right, right from the get-go. So you've just spoken to the four tenets that I speak with my clients about, which is having a growth mindset – being very aware, self-aware, as well as aware of, of those around you, and then also a sense of readiness but resilience to trust the people that you work with and for that they can handle the information, but also to be very aware of how to present the opportunities that exist within the whole transaction for everybody. Wendy, you said it a lot more eloquently than I could have said it. So that was beautifully said. That's exactly that's exactly what I was trying to say, but you said it much better than I did. Well, I just really appreciate your sharing the experience. But okay, so let's go back to our. So you you were you showed the, the you demonstrated you walked the talk and you demonstrated leadership that your people could get around. So what next? How did you? How did you enlist, you know, people like my husband, like the external advisors, and how did you prepare those people or create a relationship with those people? Um, with with respect to John, what ended up happening was, uh, just to be quite honest with you, I didn't pick him because I didn't, it wasn't, it, he came by way, the people that owned the company mm-hmm. um, found his name somehow, some way. I, I'm not quite sure if it's because he you know, they were both from the Virginia area. I don't know, truthfully. Uh-huh. But um, I but I can say the first time we were going to go, um, we were going through the sale process. I don't know if John remembers this, but I, he and I met because I actually asked the owners to introduce me to him. And so I drove to Virginia to have dinner with him. And the reason why I did that was so that I wanted to, I, I like to talk to people and get to know them and, and meet with them eyeball to eyeball. So I know exactly who I'm dealing with and they know exactly who, with whom they're dealing. And because I feel as though, um, you know, we're talking on the phone and things of that, that's, that's wonderful. But I like to deal, you know, I like to I face to face is always the best way. And so when, when JD and I met, uh, you know, he and I got along very well. I mean, he's a, he's obviously a very likable person. And um, we went through the process. And I was somewhat involved the first time because of my role in the sales part of it, mm-hmm. heading the sales team. But I, when, when we took the deal off the table, and I hope I'm answering your question, I felt as though JD was someone that I could trust. And, and I tend to go with my gut feeling a lot of times because my gut for the most times has not been wrong. And so I tend to do that when I feel as though someone who has demonstrated, and and this is kind of a long way of answering this, but 
I think when you find people, whether they're customers, whether they're investment bankers, whether they're suppliers with uh, employees, whomever, and you get to know, you know, you get to, yeah, I mean, you gotta get to know people. That's the bottom line. Yes. And when you, when you get to know people, then you can see whether they're consistent in what they say. You know, uh, do they do they do as you know? Are they one of these people that do as I say, and not as I do? Um, and so you get to learn and see people's patterns. And so I quietly sort of always I do this to this day. I just I see if I can uh, rely on people if they do what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, John impressed me to be that type of person as I got to know him. So when 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 this whole changes were going through and. And quite honestly, the first four months, I didn't know we were gonna, if we were going to make it or not, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I kept in touch with John because I wanted to keep him abreast on what was going on also so that when he came back, because I knew that once we were going to put the company back on the market, he was – he. and I'm not saying because you're his, he's your husband, but I just knew – he was it. He was the guy we have to go with because, you know, I felt as though he had the same goal as I did. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't just to make the sale, but that was to to take care of the, 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 the people and the employees that were there to see that it was had a chance at least to continue to go on. So I knew right from that, the, the time that we took the deal off the market, that he would be the person that we were going to stay with. And uh, so I wanted to keep him informed and updated uh, on a periodic basis so that he, when he came back in, it wasn't like, okay, let's catch up now. Let's find out what's, you know, what, what we need to do, what's been going on. He pretty much knew the whole story you know, right for the mm-hmm. first, second time he came back into the deal. You know, it's interesting. There's a, a study that came out earlier this year by the National Center for the Middle Market, and it in that study, they determined that the overwhelming majority of middle market companies do not employ external advisors in these kinds of transactions. And it really is um, one of those things that I I feel as though could be value added, not only to the success of the deal, but also to make sure that the priorities of the owners and the goals of the owners and the employees are, are carried forth throughout the transaction. It's almost like that advisor holds the space for the goals and the objectives. And I really appreciated that you took the time to create a relationship with an external advisor, who I have to agree with you since I'm married to him, is a <laughs> wonderful person. But I, I think that so many of us tell ourselves we don't have time for these relationships. And you have just laid out basically two or three years of effort where that you put into a relationship that paid off in the end. Well, you know, Wendy, thank you. And I, because again, that, I think that's probably been sort of, and it's not, it's not because I do it because again, you know, I, it's, it's, it's phony or it's false or it's fake. I do it because I believe any relationship, whether you're married or your friends um, or, or whatever the case might be, it takes effort. You've mm-hmm. got to make the effort to work at the relationship. And again, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of things myself. Sometimes I, you know, let too much time go by without taking my wife out on a date or, or, you know, pick up the phone to call someone or something or like that. But, but for the most part, I do my best to try to, you know, maintain the friendship or a relationship with, with whomever, because, um, 
you know, once you get people in your life that you can trust and that you like, you, you want you want to keep them in there. And and but but getting this back to what we're talking about with respect to outside advisors, I would tell any uh, owner or again someone in a position to who's looking to sell the company that you it's to me it's a no brainer. So you must enlist an outsider because that outsider, number one, is going to bring in uh, a, a different perspective than what you you're Sometimes you're a little too close to it. You can't see it. Number two, in the case uh, of the outside advisor, and, and uh, again, I'm going to use John as an example. He's the expert in that and not me. He was the expert in that. So, you know, I look to his counsel to say, you know, these people are going to be looking at this or, you know, stay away from talking about that or do this, or do that. And so, you know, you need, I felt you need to have it. The third thing and the most key ingredient is you've got to find people that you can trust. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's, that was the whole thing. So again, back to with, with John, to me, it was, it was a, it was a slam dunk, no, no brainer decision. He was going to be the guy that's going to take us when that time came that we were going to sell the company, whether it was going to be a year, two, five, ten. I was going to maintain that relationship with him as long as I could because I felt he was the right guy to help us. Great. That is so insightful. I really appreciate that, Phil. So let's move on to the next question because I'd really like for you to have an opportunity to explore or explain a little bit about possible recommendations that you might have to other people who are considering a merger in, in or an acquisition in their future. Yeah. With, with respect, as far as um, just what, just anything in general? Well, yeah. Like, so what steps would you advise people to take to prepare if that person um, was going to sell their company? What would be, what would be something that you would recommend to them? Yeah. First thing would be, and I, I touched on just a few seconds ago, Find an outside advisor. If you don't rely on yourself to doing it, because you, a you got a business to run, and b you're a little, sometimes you're a little too close to the situation mm -hmm. that you can't see it. So get yourself a trusted outside advisor. And and the, and that really is only two points I could tell you right now that come to mind. The second thing is, as I stated earlier, get with your employees. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that relationship get it and develop it where you're talking to them on a regular basis and let them know what's going on because trust me when I tell you, you know, if people don't think that they know, they know when things are, when they start seeing people walking around and, you know, and all of a sudden rumors start, people start getting fearful as to what's going on. And I feel, I feel as though, and I would advise anyone to do this, to just be upfront and open with your employees mm -hmm. because they have a part in this whole thing too. Right. It's actually a very important role to play, isn't it? It truly is. You know, it's it's um again, it goes back to what we just said earlier. It's it's working on you know relationships. I mean, and they take a lot of work. And to think that you you have an employee and and the fact that you're paying them that ought to be good enough. Well, it isn't good enough. If you want to create an environment where you have a good solid workforce and people that want to be there, people that want to feel that they have a part in this, this company, 
then make them a part of the company. And that takes some work and some effort. Yeah. Hey, Phil, a lot of times people don't talk about this next aspect, and that's self-care. How did you take care of yourself and during the process? And also, Phil, if you don't mind, how did the process affect your family? Well, um, as far as taking care of myself, I mean, um, I, yeah, I, I, I realized, I guess I got myself, um, uh, I didn't go into the thing blind, thinking that, you know, this would be sort of a cakewalk and someone's going to have to do the work. I knew it was going to be hard work, and I knew it would take a lot of effort that you had to, um, you know, you have to be up. And, and right. again, I'm not talking about in a phony way, but you have to be enthusiastic when you're talking about your company and the future and and some of the things that, you know, again, I was I told every person, I didn't make it sound as though it was everything was just wonderful. I, I laid out there was here were some of the obstacles that we faced, but but you have to stay up and upbeat and passionate about what you're talking about. So I I just I don't know, somehow I just knew I needed to do that. And then I also knew I needed to do my, my normal job too. So yes. So I mean there's a process and I'm not gonna kid anyone that uh, it, it's um it's a lot of work because you're pretty much taking on two full time jobs. And so but you have to keep in mind that the that the end result is what you're working for, and that you're you know you're going to just continue to work hard. I just I mean, you know basically I would go out for walks um, by myself a lot of times just to think about everything or think about nothing mm-hmm. and um, cut grass or things like that. With respect to my family, Wendy, um, quite honestly, it it didn't affect it any way. Um, because I'm, what I mean by that, I don't claim to be Ward Cleaver, but I've always had the ability to, um, life is about balance. And in my case, there's three of us. There's my wife, my son, and myself. That's my immediate family. And I've always believed that you have to balance my wife and my son and I've got to do things as a family. My wife and I have got to do things without my son. My son and I have got to do things without my wife. And then we each individual got to do things without the others. So it, it was, it's been that way. I've been married for 37 years. It's been that way for 37 years. And um, um, I realized there was times I'd have to do things for work. And then there was times where I just shut it off and said, okay, now it's my family time. And so you have to, I guess, the long answer again to your question is it's, it's all about balance. So you know, take care of yourself by mm. you know, keeping yourself somewhat um, grounded and not letting, you know, work overcome your family life because um, it, it, I can see how it can it can negatively affect it if you if you allow it. Yeah, and that's the thing. You just can't allow it. Yeah, and I appreciate that advice. So, Phil, we're we're getting close on time, and I wanted to ask you one more question, and that sure. is, what about the mergers and acquisitions process surprised you this last time? Uh, hmm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess going through the process, I, quite honestly, there weren't any surprises for me because I had seen it happen a few, you know, again, from a, a sort of arm's length, I saw it uh, a couple of times, but being involved, 
boy, I tell you what, you, you tell John I praised him here. I'm going to have to deny it. But he, <laughs> he kept me away. You know, again, this goes back to this outside advisor. Because he he's been through these things so many times. He kept me advised and apprised and updated and, you know, here's what's going on here and, you know, this might mean that and look out for this or that. So I can't honestly say that I was surprised going, you know, at, at the point where we were closing on the deal that anything sort of jumped out at me and uh, it I was shocked by anything because I really wasn't. And, and I, I have to attribute that a lot to um, – to my investment banker who happens to be your husband. That's great. And that to me, it sounds to me like you were fully prepared and engaged in the process. And I, I think mm-hmm. the two of you made a great team. I think we did too. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you the thing that uh, I would, uh, again, my, in my case where I didn't own the company and going back to this employee thing, I'm going to say one more thing that I that I think as far as advice, uh, go back to one earlier question I'll Real quickly touch on that. Thank you. I, I, and and again, I because there really weren't any surprises because that John really kept me, you know, kept me well informed. I felt, but the one thing that I did in my situation where I didn't know the company, I was an employee at the end of the day, um, but I had promised. I literally again got my employees together, and and. And there was, you know, I didn't get all 100 and whatever there were, 110 or whatever the number was at that particular time, all together at one time. But I spoke in groups of, you know, 8, 10, 12 people at a time. So I made sure that I could, you know, talk to, engage their response and see how they how they reacted to what I was telling them. But I truly and sincerely, right from the get-go, when I told them what was going on, I made them a promise and I said that that I was going to do the best that I could do, even if the best deal for the company meant that it didn't include me because I knew there was a chance that you know, maybe I'd have a job, maybe I wouldn't have a job. But I always felt as though that – and I told them this – that if, if there was two deals on the table and there was one deal that was not so great for the company but it was good for me personally and there was another deal that was great for the company – but it meant that I wasn't going to have a job. I would take the latter because I really felt that a calling of some sort, and I don't claim to have a halo over my head, but I felt a calling of some sort that I had to do what was best for those hundred families and not so much for me. And I just, I just truly believed that, you know, God would take care of me if, if that meant that I wasn't going to be there. And, and, um, so going back to what we were talking about, I can't emphasize enough. You have to tell your employees what's going on, and, and I think that makes a world of difference. I totally agree, and I I so admire your willingness to come on the show today and share these experiences with us. Because, Phil, so often I think um, business owners are, are very much in the day-to-day operations, as are the presidents and other people of authority, and so it's difficult to to create the bandwidth to take a look at what does it mean to be transparent? What does it mean to show up with integrity? What does it mean to show up with authenticity? And you have shared a path to doing each of those things and in a way that I think is accessible for everyone. And and so I thank you so much for that. Well, thank you, Wendy. I really appreciate it. And it was uh, thank you for allowing me and honoring me with this uh, opportunity. I, I, um, I, I, you know, anytime I, I, 
be more than happy to do it again. Hey, Phil, if any of our listeners wanted to reach out to you, how would they contact you and, and what would be the best? Yeah, best way is my cell phone number, which is 412-298-0915. And, uh, or they can you know, contact you and you can reach out to me, whoever they feel is the best. And uh, any conversation that they and I would have would certainly remain in confidence. And, uh, but I'd be more than happy to talk to, to any person. Well, Phil, thank you so much for that generous offer. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, feel free to call me at 804-372-7575 or go to my website, ascendtosell.com. And I'd love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your contacts. Thank you so much, Phil. And thank you, listeners. Have a great day. Thank you, Wendy.